0: Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. I'm joined today by Jenny Costello, your Chief Executive of the Ethical Tea Partnership. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny.
1: Hi, Ian. Thank you for having me.
0: We've not featured the tea sector much on the Innovation Forum podcast. The reason for that really is it seems to have gone under the radar a little bit in terms of supply chain issues, environmental and human rights issues. So, Jenny, perhaps you can start off by giving us a bit of your thinking as to why the tea sector has gone under the radar for so long. An
1: interesting question, Ian, and I think there's a couple of factors at play there. Firstly, I should say ETP, the Ethical Tea Partnership, is going to be 25 years old this year. We were founded by companies who wanted to better understand the issues, the social issues in particular, in the tea supply chain tea has been on some people's radars for a long time. But in terms of it being on a hot product issue list, if you like, there are some other products that have a much higher profile. But I think there's a couple of things. Consumer awareness is one. And consumers are asking more questions about the supply chains behind the products that they consume. And that's that's a good thing that creates a demand for both information and better production. I think also just in sustainability and responsibility terms in general, we're getting much better at understanding and articulating and measuring issues. So let's say modern slavery, it's become a much more widely understood term, whereas before it used to be just the kind of language of activists. It is now the kind of concept that is discussed in boardrooms and by business leadership. So, So that helps as well. If we can name it and articulate it, that helps. I also think that some of the NGOs and grassroots civil society organisations have done a fantastic job in raising awareness of the issues in tea. Tea is drunk by many, many people, particularly in the UK. And it's one of those things you don't really give much thought to. You don't think about what goes into some of these products that we consume daily, but there's a growing awareness of the human rights, the gender violence, the child trafficking issues in tea, and also increasingly the environmental footprint of tea as well. Our understanding is improving, and that would be why tea is now getting onto the radar.
0: Perhaps a bit of background to the sector itself. How is the sector structured? Is there a commoditiser pro, or do brands have reasonably vertical supply chains? I mean, what does it look like?
1: I think it's a great question, Ian, to help to understand why some of the issues are so hard to address. So if we start at the production end of tea, so this is the growing end of tea, the majority of the world's tea is grown by smallholder farmers. It's not grown on plantations. The plantation model as a business model is becoming increasingly difficult and challenging. But the majority of the world's tea is grown by smallholders who either grow exclusively tea or they have some tea and then other crops to grow. On a plantation, plantations tend to be home to many of the tea workers and their dependents, their families as well. That model is less and less prevalent globally, but we do see that in some of the tea producing countries in Africa, such as Kenya and Malawi. So that's at the production end. You have smallholder farmers and plantations. Then the tea leaf, the green leaf, goes to a factory who will either buy the tea leaf from the smallholder or will be growing it themselves on a plantation And the factories are where the tea is sliced into the little leaves that we are used to having in a tea packet or in a tea bag. It's furnished, which is the oxidation process that makes it go from the green leaf to the brown leaf. And that process is an art. That's where the flavour, the the taste profile of the tea is developed. From the factories, the tea can either be blended with other teas, again, a little bit like the Coca-Cola recipe of some brands that we have so you get a little bit of tea from one country mixed with the tea from another country to create a unique blend or flavor that we associate and expect from a company and that tea can be bought through an auction or it can be bought directly from the producer so we have a commodity market through the auction some companies prefer to buy directly because they can have a stronger closer relationship with their producer and can look at issues under the bonnet of the operations if you like some companies, unfortunately, like to buy directly because they can get producers to reduce their price or commit to forward contracts or it allows them to use transfer pricing. So there's pros and cons to both the auction and direct buying. Neither is without flaws. The blending of tea, just my final point in this structure, the blending of the tea can be done either at source. So let's say the tea is grown in Kenya, it can be blended in Kenya or often it can be shipped to another country and blended there. So we have blending in Middle East. There's a household brand of tea in Northern England. And believe it or not, tea doesn't grow in Northern England, but that tea is blended in that place. And I won't say the name. That's where the tea is blended into what we buy in the supermarkets
0: or retail outlets. So what are then the main challenges for the sector? Let's think about environmental challenges first.
1: Actually, the environmental agenda in tea is fairly undeveloped or immature compared to, let's say, palm oil or some other agricultural commodities where we know what they are. It's an old crop. It was developed by the British Empire. So it's been grown for a long time. And really, until relatively recently, we haven't understood how to do a carbon footprint of tea, or there's no consensus on the protocol to use. And the impact of the fertilisers that we use in tea in some places hasn't been measured. However, the other side of the environment is the the impact of climate change. And if you talk to any tea producer in East Africa, North India, Sri Lanka, they will tell you without prompting that they are feeling the impacts of climate change. And tea is a very thirsty crop. It needs rain. When rain patterns, rainfall is disrupted, the tea farmers really feel that impact. And that's what they're seeing a lot of. Disrupted rainfall, soil degradation and the untold impacts of of climate change.
0: What about social challenges then?
1: Yeah, this is the more widely understood impact of the tea sector. Just if we start on incomes and wages, as in many other agriculture sectors, people who work in tea, smallholder farmers, do not earn what many of us would consider to be decent wages or, if you want to use the phrases, living wage or living income. That's the price that is paid for tea prevents the growers of tea often earning a reasonable wage or a reasonable income from the crop. Other social issues, sometimes cultural issues, local cultural issues, which are manifested by a power imbalance at the tea plantation. So let me explain what that means. Let's say we're in a country like Malawi, where not in tea, but in Malawi many girls are married as children. They're married at the ages of 13, 14, 15. Child pregnancy is huge in Malawi and gender-based violence is a significant problem in Malawi. You then take that context and you put it into a tea plantation where there are power imbalances from a hierarchy on the estate and gender-based violence is exacerbated, exaggerated and accelerated in a tea plantation. We've got incomes, we've got gender-based violence. We also have those two factors contributing to, unfortunately, the grim reality of child trafficking from some of the estates, in particularly in North India, where abject poverty and desperation results in some of the families in tea estates selling their children. Obviously, to sell a child, you have to have someone who's willing to buy a child. And, and so the traffickers will target the vulnerable and impoverished people in tea estates. Other issues include a problem with the model particularly in East Asia which is tea companies have a, from an old law are expected to provide housing food healthcare and education social benefits to the tea workers and their families the quality of the housing the food the education and the healthcare are substandard because the tea plantation model isn't profitable So the tea companies will often compromise on the quality of social provision to their workers.
0: How are these social issues evolving at the moment? Where's progress being made?
1: The progress happens. I mean, these are really deep systemic problems. They're perpetuated by some business practices. There's no denying that. To change systemic problems and referencing theory of systems change, You need an orchestration of different interventions. So you could look for projects that educate women about their rights, for example. You look at incentivizing business behaviour that promotes women and protects women in the workplace. And you look at legislation and an empowering and enabling environment. So a policy environment where women are protected and recognised and given rights. So that would be a typical way to address some of the gender abuses and inequality. When it comes to trafficking of children, for example, we look to the governments to enforce the law, but we also look at the root cause of that. Nobody chooses to sell their child. They do it out of desperation, and the desperation comes from low incomes and no future outside tea. So it's about creating opportunities and improving incomes for tea workers. These are complex problems that require a number of stakeholders, including tea growers, including tea buyers, retailers, governments and civil society to work together to address those problems.
0: And how engaged is the sector in general in addressing these challenges?
1: 48 members of ETP, and this sounds a little bit like a pitch, but we have 48 very engaged members. They voluntarily come to ETP and ask to contribute to the work that we're doing. We don't do any advocacy, we don't do any forcing or naming or shaming of tea companies. They come to us and support the work that we do. Now, of course, in the 48 members that we have, some will want to know how every pound that they give us is spent. Others feel that they've done their bit by giving to us and they trust us to address the issues in a holistic way. Some want to know what they can do more of differently, better. And those are the real pioneers and leaders in the sector. The part of the sector that's really engaged are the retailers because they're the ones on the headlines. They're the ones who are doing their risk profiles of all the products on the shelf. And they understand that a problem in tea is a problem for them. They are the ones who are often driving the responses to some of the biggest issues in tea.
0: How about brands? Where do they fit into the... I mean, they're obviously a bit closer to where the problems are.
1: They can make choices around buying tea that is from certified gardens. Certification isn't a guarantee that it's a problem-free, gut-free garden. But if a garden, a tea estate has been certified, it usually demonstrates a level of management engagement in the issues. The brands or the packers can make choices to buy from certified estates. They can make choices about buying directly, as I mentioned before, and they can kind of get closer to their producers to explain their expectations and their concerns, and they can fund NGOs and organisations to go in and work with the tea gardens. So it becomes a much tighter partnership. There's a commercial benefit for the producer who meets those more stringent demands.
0: I guess all of this comes down to supply chain transparency and accountability. Are there any examples that you can give from the tea sector around the challenges involved in developing the supply chain disclosures and accountability that are really going to be necessary?
1: Yeah, it's a really hot topic, actually, in the minute in tea. You know, traditionally, historically, the tea sector has not been good at talking about where it's buying its tea from. And I don't think anybody in the tea sector would deny that. A handful of our members, of ETP members, took a step to disclose their supplier list and to quote one of them, they said, and then the sky didn't fall in. When we published our list, it was a big move for them and nothing dramatic happened to them. There are still some tea companies, some brands who are really uncomfortable talking about where they're buying tea from. And we're working with the sector in a very collaborative way to understand what their concerns are, what is meant by transparency. For some people, they automatically assume this is about open book accounting. This is about showing every profit and loss statement and every every, um, general ledger in in your system. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, tell us where you're buying tea from. Tell us about the relationship you have with them, the standards that you ask your producers to meet and what you're doing to support your producers to adhere to those standards or improve their practices. That, I think, would be real progress for the sector. Companies are nervous. They are nervous. There are some really supportive NGOs, and there are some very vicious NGOs. And the vicious ones are the ones who are actually forcing some of our members or some of the packers to not disclose because they're scared of the backlash.
0: So their concerns are based around, if we disclose and are open, then we're going to get attacked for what's going on?
1: Yeah, my counter to that is I would like you to disclose because that's a proactive step to say, we know where we're buying our tea. We know what the operations are like. And I think it's a very positive step for those companies when framed in that way. The worst case is when an NGO campaigns and forces them to disclose about it. I would much rather see companies disclose voluntarily because it shows they're accountable for their supply chains. And and that transparency and accountability, they're a proxy for one another. If you can talk openly about your supply chain, it's a very convincing or a really good demonstration of how you understand your supply chain and the risks within it.
0: Do these companies not accept that there are going to be particularly human rights challenges and risks in their supply chain? I mean, someone commented to me at an Innovation Reform event last year that if you have an agricultural supply chain, you have human rights problems there. And you have to accept that and try and find them. It strikes me from your comments that the, the, many in the tea sector are not quite there yet.
1: Again, they come to ETP because we address social and environmental issues in tea supply chain. So there's an implied cognizance of those issues and an awareness of those issues. For some companies, talking about those issues publicly is difficult. And I understand that we don't have to think too hard to think of the NGOs who, who would really go to town on it. I want to be fair to the NGOs because I think they play a vital role in improving companies' behaviour and raising awareness of issues. But to name and shame companies who try to disclose or who take that first step, then you're not going to encourage the kind of behaviour that I think we can all agree would be better for the industry, which is that transparency.
0: Are there any particular sectors that you're encouraging your members to look at, to learn from how to deal with these challenges and in a kind of mature way and to accept that they are there and then the, you know, the work is, is to find the problems and remediate?
1: A positive and at the same time a negative example is the garment industry. I think the Rana Plaza disaster forced everybody to sit up and pay attention to where are our clothes coming from? What are the conditions that people are working in in the garment supply chain? it was a catalyst for a lot more responsibility and disclosure from a lot of garment manufacturers. So that is a positive example. I think there are some other examples. I think the soy industry in South America has also come together as a sector to discuss their supply chain and the risks within it. And I know that there's some fantastic work being done by the Dutch retailers on bananas, and particularly on wages. So there are some examples indeed. But where tea is ahead, others will be lagging and, and we can look to other sectors to learn from them as well.
0: Sure. Yeah, The Ethical Tea Partnership, you have a 2030 strategy. How is this structured and what are you trying to achieve with it?
1: We did a big stakeholder consultation exercise to gather feedback on what people thought the potential of an organisation like ETP is. You know, a lot of that talked about us Facilitating dialogue and sharing information and piloting approaches. So that consultation informed a lot of the thinking for that 2030 strategy. But in short, there are three issues that we tackle in T. One is the economics of tea, and that is around living wages and incomes that I've discussed already. That's the holy grail. If we can unlock the profit model, the wages and the value distribution in tea, a lot of the other issues would either go away or would be much easier to address. So economics is the first one. The second one is equality, gender equality, equality for young people, and equality and access to opportunity. And the third and final one is environmental sustainability. So we focus our impact on the three E's of economics, equality, and environment. And we do that through the more traditional approach to programs, you know, that we have a partnership with an NGO who will go, let's say, with UNICEF, for example, to tackle some of the child vulnerability in Assam. Those programs are fantastic but they often don't last once the funding has been withdrawn or the programme comes to its natural end. So the other two things that we're working on is business innovation, pilots looking at how businesses can change their practices. I think one of the best things that a company can do is review its procurement policy and introduce social criteria, social and environmental criteria to its procurement decisions. And the third thing that we're developing a body of work on is our policy work, where we're looking at emerging legislation in these countries where, you know, there might be a change to, say, in Sri Lanka, use of fertiliser was a decision that was made overnight. And what's our position on that? And how does that impact the tea industry? So the three areas that we work in are programmes, business pilots, and policy. And as you've probably gathered by now, I like alliteration. So that's our three Ps, programmes, pilots, and policy.
0: Why 2030? Are there certain targets you've got set for 2030?
1: Yeah, so it, of course, aligns with the sustainable development goals and agenda there. It also felt we were doing this work two years ago, a 10-year strategy felt like a conceivable strategy, and then we will do a midterm review of our progress, and all of our programs and activities are being aligned around that strategy. We can talk about the impact there. Coming back just briefly, sorry, into the theory of systems change. We wanted to do the programmes, the pilots and the policy work because that's how you create broader, more lasting change than just an old fashioned CSR project. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but they don't change the world.
0: If you had a dream for the future, for the sector, what would you want industry to do differently over the coming years?
1: I would firstly like to say I don't dream about tea often, but I understand the question. There's a significant lack of trust between the different stakeholders in tea. And I would love to see the industry players be courageous and take a step towards each other to be more trusting, because without building those relationships, we're all going to be working in isolation. I would love to see stronger partnerships and more trust in the industry. And I think this is the role for ETP to convene stakeholders and help establish that trust. The other thing that I would love to see the industry do, and I I genuinely believe that in a few years, this won't even be a discussion, but it's what I call radical transparency, where companies will disclose their supply chains, their suppliers, their policies, and they'll hark back to the day when they used not to with, can you reimagine we we used to never do this? Because I think we'll just get to that point where it will become common practice.
0: Perhaps we can come back in a few years and see if that's happened. It's certainly fun to do so, but thank you very much indeed, Jenny Costello, Chief Executive of the Ethical Tea Partnership, for giving us a really good background as to the sector's challenges. Thank you, Jenny.
1: My pleasure, Ian. Thank you.